Hey, it's Elle. And Anna. And you're listening to the Baby Project Podcast. In this podcast, we will discuss our journeys, as well as other warriors going through the ups and downs of infertility. Um, there's ups? <laughs> yes, there's ups. Okay. As a reminder, be kind to yourself and skip as needed. We know some topics may be triggering. Let's get talking. This is episode 18, Finding Happiness Within. Today, we have one of the authors from Where's Helen joining us. Leah is a high school teacher who loves the outdoors and can be found spending all her weekends at the cottage where she enjoys hiking, swimming, snowshoeing. And if she's not on the go, either on an ATV or boat, you can find Leah channeling her inner peace with some yoga. Welcome, Leah, to the Baby Project podcast. Yay, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) So I got to ask from our last episode last week, um, Courtney was mentioning, and even you were mentioning how you love Disney. So what is your favorite Disney movie? I don't even know where to start. (laughs) And it's because do I choose like an animated or now they have the real versions? It's you know, let's go classic. Cause I like classic. That's, that's where I feel like, you know, classic Disney princess. So, you know classic. what though? My favorite classic Disney is Mulan. I've always loved Mulan and I, I don't even, I can't even pinpoint why, but that movie I've always been drawn to. <laughs> Love it. One. And I would say if it, in the real version, Aladdin, I, that one was really well done. Um, oh, yeah. that's probably my, my favorite. Yeah. Well, with Will Smith, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's good. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Or the oh, Mulan. you have to. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, seen, I've seen the old ones. Of the course. real version of Mulan is okay. Mm-hmm. I like the animated, like for the animated ones, that one. But yeah, we still have all the VHSs, like every Disney VHS you could imagine. Oh my gosh, you know, those are worth mil- like not millions, but thousands I've heard online, like a couple of thousands it goes for if you have the, the there's specific ones in the casing. Um, yeah, yeah, like Fantasia, we still yeah. have, I don't even know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's on oh the my list. gosh, Fantasia, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got my them all. sister is a diehard Disney fan, like we got Disney Trivial Pursuit when she was a kid. And nobody, we all refuse to play with her because we don't even have a chance Ooh. to win. Because I would like to buy that now that you just, say that. And there was another game that you could play and there was something on the TV would come up. I can't remember what it was. And it would like scramble the picture. And she would know with like, as soon as it moved one of the like puzzle pieces, let's say, she would know automatically what the answer was. And we're like, come on. <laughs> Give us a love chance. It. With Disney, there's always like a love story. So... How about you just maybe dive into how you met your Prince Charming? So that's funny. We're, it's funny because it's not really a Cinderella story, if you will. So we met at the cottage, um, but he, he's about four years older than me. So when you're, so at the cottage, people of all ages sort of hang out. But when you're 14 and he's 18, like that was a big age gap. Um, but we were all, we were always very attracted to each other, but, uh, we're always dating people. Um, so we started hanging out in the same group when I was about 16, he was about 20. Um, 
but we didn't actually start dating until years later. And he was kind of the bad boy on the lake. So I couldn't really tell my parents about it a bit later. (laughs) So it's like Um, under like on the DL. Yeah. So I was in university and he would come to, I was at Laurier. So he would come to Waterloo to see me with some of our other cottage buddies. Um, But yeah, it was kind of a long time of dating before we were officially dating um, and talking about it. And honestly, I'm not really someone who was like, remembers the date and uh, that's just not me. So I don't even really remember how old I was probably about 22, maybe 21, 22. And then, um, yeah, it got pretty serious. And then we ended up, uh, getting married when I was, so he proposed on the lake. He took me, it was Christmas Eve. He took me from on the snowmobile and I knew something was up because I didn't get my own snowmobile. We had to go on the same one. So I was like, okay. Yeah. And then, a little sketch. <laughs> yeah. So he took me to buttermilk falls, which is on our lake and, um, proposed there. And then we got married that following summer. So I was 25. He was 30 at the time. And yeah, it was great. We got married on the lake and, um, you know, most of our lake friends were here and, uh, it was on our front lawn of, of like where my parents' cottage is, where we got married. And then we had the reception kind of close by at a, a resort and it was lovely. And so that's where, you know, the cottage is such a close place to both of our hearts And I think that's why we mesh so well, because when we had dated other people, bringing them to the lake was in in a way its own challenge because, you know, we're both, we both have our group here and and boating and it was hard to bring an outsider in for, for us anyways, not to say that other people on the lake haven't done that, but yeah, it's um, kind of a special place for us that we both love and, and it's nice that we've found each other here. Uh, I think that sounds pretty fairy tale to me. <laughs> yeah, in its own way, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, it's your your fairy tale, which is the perfect story for you guys. Yeah, and that's kind of with the book, how I was writing my own fairy tale, you know, it wasn't exactly the way, you know, I thought my Prince Charming would be, but he's his own rugged Prince Charming, we'll say. <laughs> What about um, your sort of original family plan? Did you guys talk about kids before you got married or what was your plan like? I don't remember if we did talk about kids. We were a bit like go with the flow. Um, I knew that I wanted kids and I think, and I, so we must've talked about it. We both knew we wanted kids. Um, He would have had kids right away if it were up to him. I'm very much a planner and because I was a bit younger, I was in trying to be a teacher, which at the time it was pretty much impossible to just become a teacher. You had to do supply work and then be an LTO and blah, blah, blah. So I knew it would be a few years before I had my job settled. So I wanted to wait. So I, and again, very structured. So in my mind, I was, you know, as soon as I got my job, which I was about 27, then um, we could start having kids and I was going to have two kids by the time I was 30. Um, that was my plan. So um, we started trying when I was 27. And 
you know, it didn't definitely didn't go as planned. So I was not 30 to say, needless to say when to have two kids, not even close. So, um, yeah, we kind of got derailed there. Doesn't it seem so funny to look back now and think of those thoughts that you had when you were like younger and thinking like, because I even remember saying myself, I don't want to be an old mom. And that's like, right. When you're 18 years old. 30 is old. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So like, yeah. I want to be done by the time I'm 30. Cause I don't want to be an old mom. That's right. And like, you know, I mean, looking back now, you look at most people are older having kids now, but as we know, in the fertility world at 35, you're a geriatric pregnancy. So yeah. That's so lovely hearing that. And yeah, you definitely think you don't want to, but you know, I kind of look back and think like, would I have been ready to have kids at 27, 28 when we were planning to probably, I mean, obviously you deal with the cards that are given to you, but I just don't know financially how, how equipped we would be. And, you know, things definitely would have looked a lot different and even just career wise, like you know, I had a lot of career opportunities that happened over the years while we were trying that I wouldn't have had, had I had children mm-hmm. at the time. In, in a lot of ways, this journey has taught me that things fall into place, or I have to believe that things fall into place when they should, because I'm not really sure how else you can keep yourself sane. <laughs> yeah. How else can you cope with all of that without thinking that there's some sort of your picture yeah yeah exactly and I guess too it's it's a little bit easier to take risks right if you don't have a family or you know if you're for people who are wanting to you know career shift and jumping into new things or are in school or for yourself trying to get like you know permanent uh, good position or moving around and getting settled it's always a lot more difficult when you have a family. Definitely. I mean, so, you know, there was, I ended up becoming department head of special ed for two years. I was covering a mat leave um, and I wouldn't have, and I had just gotten a permanent position. And so I jumped up quite quickly. I was able to take additional qualifications because I, you know, had the time and those things, I wouldn't have had those opportunities, you know, had I been on maternity leave sort of thing. So yeah. And same with now moving into co-op, like, you know, just different, different roles I've been able to take. And I'm super grateful for it because I love, I love my job and I love those different roles. And, um, you know, I feel like I was given those opportunities quite new in my career. So um, it's, it's been great in that sense, those opportunities. I'm like a firm believer of everything happens for a reason even though we might always not know what the reason and or agree with it, but it always does happen for a reason. That is true. We might not agree and, you know, come kicking and fighting, but yeah. in, in hindsight, right. When you look back, you think, Oh, you know, I wouldn't have learned that or I wouldn't have had that opportunity had things gone differently. I think it's a little bit easier too, once you've had some time to heal, like when you're right in the midst of it, you're not even open to receiving anything other than, you know, the shithole that you're in, you can't oh, see past definitely, it. Definitely. That is very true. Do you want to jump into, uh, let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of the, of the juicy story, um, in, in your journey, sort of, um, what your journey has looked like and where you are now. I, we started, as I said, I was 27. Um, and I had been on the pill for 11 years. So 
you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go off the pill and we're going to start trying. And, and, you know, next month, that's it. We're having a baby or I'll be pregnant. So when I went off the pill, I didn't have my period for a number of months. And, you know, some friends had said that it happened to them and it took some time to regulate. But after six months, I'm like, well, this, this isn't good. So um, I went to a OB and she had said that I had hypogonadotrophic hypogonorrhea, something like that. HA is what they call it. So, um, you know, they check your thyroid and basically like my thyroid wasn't functioning and my um, hormones were totally flatlined. So my estrogen, um, progesterone, like literally totally flatlined, like did not have any. So uh, I was able to go to a fertility clinic and in the fertility world, that's a great diagnosis because they can just pump you with those hormones. So not really a big problem, but good at doing that, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of like, I write this in my chapter, like looking back, like, and again, I doctors, I highly respect, obviously there's some doctors that are stronger than others, just like any profession. But the problem with the medical world is that we just look for band-aids. We don't look at the underlying causes. So that's where, you know, I did later in my journey, find my naturopath who I love and um, was so amazing. And that's a more holistic approach of like, why are your hormones flatlined? Like, let's look at that issue. Um, and a lot of it was stress, like, and I was in a, in a big way, I think like pushing myself, I would, um, I was a runner and I think like I would over-exercise under eat, like not nourish myself the way I should. Um, my, my anxiety about getting pregnant was so high that I would try and escape it by running. So it was kind of like a vicious circle sort of thing. And that in turn led to flatlined hormones. So this was kind of all tied into one. And to me though, you know, great fertility clinic can inject you with hormones and things can be fixed. So we started off with, we'll say natural, but nothing was natural, but natural medicated cycles. So, you know, I was doing, um, I started with pills, then moved to injections and then trying to conceive naturally, if you will, with that. Then we moved to IUI. Um, We did five IUI cycles, all of them failed, and then moved to IVF. So this was at one clinic, um, which I I don't name, I won't name. They, I did not like this clinic. It was terrible. Um, It was really, and part of it could be my experience. I you know, was thinking that, oh, you know, from the first round, the pill version would work and everything would be great. And just not realizing this world I was entering into and, you know, the blood work and the ultrasound and the inconvenience and the roller coaster of emotions and, you know, just constant disappointments that I just was not prepared for. Um, And not realizing that, you know, this would be a multi-year journey. I was thinking it would be a couple months, if that. Um, And so we jumped into things like the clinic that my doctor had referred me to, it was a four month wait. And I was like, four months, I can't wait that long. I've already waited, 
you know, eight months at this point, like I'm going to find my own clinic. And so this clinic that we ended up being with for three years, they had an appointment within two weeks. So I'm like, perfect. Instead of that being a red flag, it was a great, they can get me in quickly. Um, And then we were kind of stuck with them because we were on the wait list for IVF and that was a year wait. um, And we didn't want to move clinics because then you would have to start at the wait list again. So um, yeah, we, we had our first IVF cycle with this clinic. It did not go well. Um, I ended up getting hypo ovarian syndrome, which was um, like, that's where your ovaries, like they're overstimulated because there's too many um, like medication, too much of um, estrogen. And so they blow up and you look like you're pregnant, which is super fun. And this was actually on the cycle when they were trying to thicken my lining because my lining wasn't thick. Like I just have a whole whack of problems. (laughs) So it's not just getting the eggs and ovulating. It's also thickening my lining is also a problem. And so I've just had so many cycles that have had to be canceled or, you know, they've had to pause because we can't figure out the medication protocol Anyways, so that IVF did not go well. We got one embryo. It was a really poor quality. Also, part of the problem was my expectations were not in check. Um, the doctor, not, not only would he say things that were just so insensitive, he also was telling us that this would work 100%. IVF is the route we had to take. And, and from the beginning, he was like, you know, you can do IUI, but definitely IVF is probably the route you want to take. And that'll work for you for sure. So we were expecting that it would work for sure. And after this first round of IVF, we were stacked with so much more knowledge of what is embryo quality rating mean? And, you know, just a lot of things that we learned on the way. And I wish I had known before because we would have done things differently. Um, But yeah, I'm like a wealth of knowledge now with fertility. And it is such a miracle that anyone gets pregnant naturally to me (laughs) because it's just stacked totally against you. (laughs) So after our first failed IVF, I was totally devastated and I hit absolute rock bottom. Like, and at this point we had withdrawn from a lot of social events. I couldn't be around people with kids, which is really sad looking back. Like, you know, I missed out on some great things and friends with, you know, their kids, because I just, it was so upsetting to be around. And even, you know, my, my sister-in-laws, they had some, you know, we had nephews and nieces and, and it was hard because it was hard to be happy for them. And I hate, I hated that. I hated that someone would announce they were pregnant or they'd have to tiptoe around it around me, or they would tell me privately because they knew that it was painful for me. And I hated that I couldn't just be so happy for them. And I was, but I was also so envious. And it was just upsetting having that such a dichotomy of emotions. And I had put every all of my happiness into having a kid, and it wasn't working. So after about three years, three, almost four years, um, we took a break. So after that failed IVF, I was just so devastated and in such a bad space that I was like, I can't continue on with this. And it had been so many years of just everything revolved around appointments and 
you know, medication and it was just a lot and disappointments and then trying to pick myself back up. And so that's when I started doing yoga and I started kind of investigating Buddhist teachings and went to classes um, around, you know, Buddhism and, and some of the learning there. And I read about happiness and, you know, the happiness project and 10% happier and listen to the podcast and just really try to find happiness from within and not put everything into being a mom. And I, I found that I had to um, find peace with myself before I was able to move on to trying IVF again. So that was about a whole year of just working on myself and slowing down and, um, you know, just treating myself better. And I gained some weight and, you know, worked with a nutritionist and was a little healthier. Um, you know, I stopped running and that's where like, you know, the yoga I was doing was not like the hot power yoga that I had always gone to before. It was like the slow yoga that was super painful because it was so damn slow and it was with like literally elderly seniors and they say that's the yoga you should do is the the yoga that's the hardest for you is is the one you should do and this this was very hard because I was always go 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 so this was like challenging me to really slow down and now you feel like you're doing nothing for an hour yeah pretty much you're like (laughs) sleeping yeah. Restorative <laughs> yoga, yin yoga. And, just lying there and breathing for an hour. Right. <laughs> and it was, that's literally what it was. And I'm not kidding. It was with seniors. So like it was with my mom who was <laughs> like, it, but when I think of seeing like she's 65, whatever. And that was mostly who it was with. And it was, it ended up being really good because it was terrible, but it also forced me to really slow down and, so overall, it was very beneficial. And when I was in a much better headspace, and the headspace I had to be in was, I will be okay, whether or not it works. You know, I would be devastated, but I I couldn't fall the way I had fallen before. Um, and so then we tried out, you know, a cycle at a couple of clinics, and we did some investigating this time of better clinics. So, you know, one in Toronto, and then we landed at the one in at Markham um, with uh, Dr. Vero, who we had heard really good things about. So it was a five month wait list to see him. And instead of thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I was like, great, this is more time to work on myself. And, you know, I wasn't in a big rush. And at this point, it was right before COVID hit. Um, So it was January of 2020, I think, and then COVID hit in March. And so then our IVF cycle got pushed back again. But again, I was like, that's okay, just more time. And so we did um, egg retrieval in June of 2020. And then it wasn't until December that we did an embryo transfer. So it was quite a few months. And again, just one problem after another. Um, My lining still was a problem. I was his thin lining patient of the year. We still did the transfer. And, and then found out December 30th of 2020 that I was pregnant. So it was like right before New Year's, it was such a miracle. 
Can, can you please relive that moment for me just for a second, just so I can kind of get a glimpse of what it feels like to oh. see a positive, like, oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> so I, I had never, I had done, um, P tests before and always negative. And so December 18th, we had the transfer. It was like, I was off work, which is great. Cause it was Christmas holidays. We did, uh, I watched all the Disney movies, like just did all the things that were feel good. Like, you know, going to look at Christmas lights, like it's just such a positive time of year. So I was Mm -hmm. really trying to soak that in. And yeah, I was really scared. Like we, we had to go and do a blood test. Our clinic was closed. So we were up North, of course. And so we were going to go to life labs and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a test because I didn't, I was feeling crampy and I was like, it didn't work. And so we had three of the tests and I just, I couldn't believe it. Like the second line was coming and I was like, there's no way. So then we did another one and I made Austin, my husband look, and he's such a little asshole. He looks at it and he's like, oh, I can't, I can't. You're And it was a digital one. So it was yes or no. I'm like, does it say yes or no? <laughs> it's spelled out for you. Come on. And Those ones like, are pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I can't. And I'm, and I, and so of course I'm like, oh my gosh, it says no. And it says yes. And I just started crying and he started crying and we just couldn't believe it. It was like, at this point it had been just over five years of trying and we were like, oh my God, like, this is just, it was unbelievable. Like, and it was such a challenging time of year because you go into the new year hopeful so I was like this could be a really and it was already a shitty new year's in a way because COVID was keeping everyone from doing all the things that we would normally do you know we spent most of our new year's at the cottage naturally and our parents had done it for years as well and they have a big group of friends that they have they get together with over new year's and their their tradition back in the day was to write their new year's resolutions, put it in a wine bottle, and then they would smash the wine bottle the following new year's and read the resolutions and kind of laugh about them. Did we actually make these? So we did that one year and it was the year that we were trying the first year when, before we went through any treatment and I was like, we can't open this bottle. So this damn bottle has sat on a shelf for years, because I know what was written in it, and I wouldn't open it. And it has haunted me for five New Year's. And so I'm like, we can finally open. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We can finally do it. This New Year's is our time. But I was like, if we're if this is negative, we're burning that fucking bottle. I'm not (laughs) I am I can't have another year with this bottle haunting me, you know. So we could finally open the stupid bottle and it was just us because you couldn't get together with anyone. Oh, so. no. I guess it was nice to share that moment even. Even like breaking that bottle, how did that feel? Oh, it was so great. And actually we did, we were here with my parents. So we, I got them a card that said, and I, I had kind of got it a few days before I went on a whim and it said like grandma and grandpa on it. And so um when they opened it like they just lost it because you know they it's also hard for like I'm very very close with my my parents my family and it's been hard for them you know like they've wanted a grandchild for years and watching us struggle has been hard and so you know it was 
it was a pretty amazing moment for them as well. And so it was a very happy New Year's celebration for us. Yeah. And then it was fun calling people the next day. I mean, it was different because usually you wouldn't tell people so early, but a lot of my friends I had told and they knew we had the embryo transfer. So they were kind of all waiting as well to hear like, how did, did it work? Cause they knew the date that we would know. So people found out quite early and that's scary in a way, but I also figured if I miscarry, these people are going to know as well because I'm going to need their support. You know, I mean, we didn't announce it to the, the world until, you know, later, but the close people, they knew quite early and, and all the ultrasounds, cause I had quite a few before like the three month mark, I had three ultrasounds. So they were kind of on the, the ride with me, which was really nice. And but it's nerve wracking. My whole pregnancy was very nerve wracking. Like you just, you want things to go well and, you know, hope for the best, but also very, because it's been so many years, I've also heard so many horror stories, you know, had I gotten pregnant when I wanted, you're very naive and you just think it so easy, <laughs> you know, yeah. people just want to have kids and they do, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's usually what happens, you think. So how did it, how did you break it to the girls in the group? Like, did you WhatsApp it? Did you video it? Like, I'm sure they were like probably on the edge of their seat too. Yeah. So they all knew, um, I was very open of when my transfer was and I, I waited until, um, the first ultrasound to tell them, Mm -hmm. um, because I just wanted to have the heartbeat, you know, Mm -hmm. hear that first. And they were all very happy, very supportive. There was another girl in the group, um, not who's uh, a co-author, but she, her and I were like three days apart from when our transfers were. So um, that was kind of nice. She was also pregnant. Um, so it was, you know, there it's, it's hard. I, I, I don't know how they feel genuinely. Like, I think, you know, they're happy. And when people are on this journey, you look at it differently. Um, But I do think there's probably still that feeling of like, for those who aren't pregnant, you know, when's it my turn? I'm I'm sure they still have that feeling. It's very hard not to, even when you know people are struggling. I think it's so natural to feel a little bit of the jealousy or the, when is it my turn? You know, hundred percent you can't help it. You're human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that you understand the struggle that your, you know, fellow warrior has went through to get to where it is. So I think that it, it takes the edge off the blow a little bit in that, in that type of a situation. It's still, yes, because you're equally, again, just like any of your friends, your loved ones, you know, your sisters, whoever in your life, you're still happy for them. You're sad for yourself because your situation hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so even for like, you know, fellow infertility warriors, when you see those announcements and, or, you know, you have close friends that are going through it, you're, st- you're so happy for them. Cause you're like, finally, you guys are out on the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like you're getting yes. there, but then you're like, mm, I'm still here in the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for sure. And there, it is different. I think you look at those who are, um, you know, infertility warriors, you definitely look at it differently than those who are like, Oh, you know, we're going to try this month and Oh, I'm pregnant, which has happened to a few of my friends. And, you know, that's, that's difficult, you know? Um, But 
my husband always really grounded me because I would, I would, you know, put a smile on and say, I'm so happy for you. And then I would secretly like ball my eyes out. And he was always so strong. And I was like, doesn't how, like, how do you, and he just said, you know, I would never want anyone to go through what we are going through. So if they're able to get pregnant on their first try, that is amazing. So that was very helpful for me because I'm like, oh, okay. You know, that is, that's a great way to look at it. Like he would ground me very well. So I was very thankful for that, but definitely was in awe often at his reactions. That's an awesome perspective to have. I think, and every time we do cry or we're really upset, it's, you're grieving for yourself. It's not that, oh, because of what's happening to you has made me feel this way. You were feeling this way all along. It just kind of like triggered it. And right. You're, you're going through your own grieving process, but to have that perspective, because we would never, you know, you would never wish it upon your worst enemy. You really no, didn't. no, it's so true. So and you're right. That. Like, yeah. To, and for him to voice that, I, when he said that, I would always try to hold on to that. Like, yeah. because of course I don't want anyone to go through this, but And it's such a simple concept, but something I didn't really think of until he had voiced it. Yeah. I think too, it depends a lot of where you are within your journey as well. If you're just starting out or if if you have just experienced a loss or a failure of a, which is still a loss, you know, let's say a failed transfer or failed IVF cycle, something like that, like depends on where, where you are in your journey. And I know like, even for myself, um, having had to switch gears from, um, you know, my goal of being pregnant myself to now my goal is to have a child and switch to surrogacy. The first time I saw an infertility um, pregnancy announcement, it hit me harder than what I thought it ever would. Mm-hmm. Because I now had to grieve the fact that somebody who was in the same boat as I was, was successful in a way that I can't be now. Mm-hmm. Because I can't be in that. I can never be in that same boat as them. Do you know, does that make sense? What I'm Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A different, so it just depends in kind of what, what line you're in, in your journey, sort of what area you're at. Um, yeah. And what headspace you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Be, and if you're, you know, going through egg retrieval, you're being pumped full of hormones. Like it's very hard to control your emotions at that time. And Things can be so triggering. And then, you know, during the year that we took off and I was working on myself, like it was, I was in a very different headspace, but yeah, like there's times you're at the grocery store and you see a baby and start crying, you know, and Mm -hmm. then there's times that I was able to, you know, babysit and have a great time. Like it just, it's definitely a roller coaster. Yeah. I think it's just important to reiterate that all of those feelings and emotions are normal, mm-hmm. no matter how shitty they are. And if you're angry, if you're jealous, if you're sad, you know what, if you're feeling happy, you're feeling hopeful, those are all like valid and normal emotions to feel throughout this roller coaster of a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just have to honor them at the time. Like if you just try and suppress them, it's, it's not, not going to be helpful. It's just, this is the space I'm in today. And this is the best I can do today. And tomorrow I will, is it, it's a new day, but mm-hmm. to feel those emotions for sure. Yeah. Cause if you don't, it's going to bubble up into something else or, you know, st- onto someone else, unfortunately. 
<laughs> right. And often it's our partner. Like this is yeah. equally as hard for our partners because they are supporting us. And, you know, when we're, again, having so many different hormones in there, it's, it can be hard. And you usually take it out on the people you love the most. And it can be very difficult on relationships for sure. Yeah. So Leah, um, throughout your pregnancy, how did it feel, um, you know, having gone through infertility and then the beginning of your pregnancy or the duration of your pregnancy, how did it feel sort of going through that after infertility? So pregnancy for me was incredible and I loved every second and people would just say, wow, you're doing so well being pregnant and you know, and I was like, because I have wanted this for so long that I don't care if I'm sick. And I don't care if I can't sleep well. And I don't care if my heartburn is like, I don't care about any, anything except for that. This is the greatest gift that I could ever have. And I like there was to me, anything that was negative about it was not a problem. It was just a part of the miracle that was happening. So And it's funny because, you know, I was very, a a lot of my experiences had made me very scared. So, you know, I was scared that, you know, any, at the beginning, I'm not feeling anything. And is there anything happening? And every ultrasound, I would hold my breath and I would just say to the tech, please, like, is there a heartbeat? Like just right away. And I know they're not supposed to tell me, but they were quite lovely and they did, they would say things are good. Um, And you know, I was so grateful for the care that I got because I had multiple appointments that were, you know, you wouldn't typically get. And I felt, and because we're at a fertility, like the clinic we were at, that you would have your ultrasound and then see the doctor right away, which was lovely. I I think like under normal circumstances, if you will, you go somewhere else to have your ultrasound and then you see your doctor or get a phone call, whatever, a few days later. So I was just very grateful for the care. It was unfortunate because of COVID, my husband couldn't come in um, to the appointments, but the silver lining there was we could do a WhatsApp call on video. And even though you're not supposed to, we would record it. So Mm. that was nice that, you know, you typically wouldn't be able to do that. So that was great. Um, I always said I wouldn't do a baby shower until after the baby was born. I wouldn't have um, you know, a gender reveal. And I did all those things because I was just trying to enjoy and soak in everything because who knows what could happen. And in this moment, I was happy and, you know, just trying to cherish everything. So I did have showers and I did do a gender reveal, even though I thought it didn't matter if it was a boy or girl at all. It was just having all those moments that I had seen other people have and and I wanted, and even though I was scared of what could happen, I was just trying to really live in that moment. And that was also something that I kind of had learned along this journey was to just being in the moment rather than looking ahead or projecting what could happen. Um, because that's where, you know, you can often spiral downwards from that. So I, it was, it was amazing. And um yeah, I just, I think for me, pregnancy was just great. Like I was able to do most of the things that I was always able to do, even as I got bigger and people just treat you so differently when you're pregnant in a lot of ways, like you're 
a sacred vessel, you know, so that was really nice. You know, I hope to have that experience again, which, you know, part of this journey is you just don't know if you will. And I, I really don't know if we will. So I just cherished every moment of it. and was super grateful. Good for you, Leah, living in the present, the present day, the present time. For so many, it sounds really great in concept, but to put it to practice is so difficult. And I think a really common thing that you hear about women who are pregnant after infertility is their their pregnancy, the whole time, they're just anxious and they're trying to enjoy the moments, but at the same time, always in the back of your mind, you have that that fear because you're so used to the disappointments Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. So you're constantly waiting for something to happen. Yes. For that shoe to drop. And I did feel like that, especially leading up to appointments, I would get a bit anxious, but I really would try to just let it go, you know, like, okay, I'm feeling anxious, but I can't worry about what may or may not be like, and I would also just try to say like, the stress isn't good for my body. It's not good for the baby. Like, let's just let it go, you know, and often just going out for a walk. And I would, I made up a song after the first heartbeat, I made up a little song for the baby. So I would go for a walk every morning and sing to the baby. And I would just try and tell myself it'll be okay. You know? Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah. Just rewinding when um, your husband gave you that wise advice about, you know, perspective shifting. That was like a positive part of the relationship partner. Like how did infertility affect your relationship with, with your husband? Thankfully, it strengthened our relationship. He is such an amazing person. And it's just so interesting because when we look back to, you know, our, our love story, we were, and well, actually, no, not anymore, but we were partiers. Like we could really throw down at the cottage and, (laughs) and, and, and anywhere really. So, you know, we had a lot of drunken fun times together and we just really enjoyed partying. And then this is such a serious, dark, you know, chapter and it was very hard because I especially would withdraw from social things and that was not my nature at all and you know it's it was very very hard and for someone who you know our relationship started in such a party atmosphere and carefree and having good times like to to support someone through such a dark time at the beginning of of a marriage like you know, we, it was eight years, we've been married eight years. And finally, we have um, a child. And, you know, within the first two years is when we started trying. And so for six years out of eight of our marriage is, is like, this very difficult thing is hard, as you know, and, you know, he was so amazing and supportive. And, you know, every time there was something upsetting and I would cry and he would just pick up the pieces. And, you know, I ended up going to therapy and I would always say to him, like, don't you need to go and talk to someone? Like, and he was always like, no, you know, he just is, was able to just find peace on his own. And like, we even went to a yoga retreat, which was not something he wanted to go to, but he was willing to do anything for me. 
hmm. and had never done yoga before in his life and did a headstand <laughs> the first time. They're like, let's try a headstand. And I look over, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is bullshit. I still can't do it. And you're just popping up there. Like, anyway, he's very balanced. And like, you know, he went to a, like a Buddhist teaching with me and he was like, yeah, this is all kind of things that I already have practiced. And I, I know it, it's just, so he's very good at balancing somehow himself and is very good at balancing me, very calm. And so we worked very well in that sense together, but there was definitely very difficult moments. Um, I was always very hard on myself and blaming myself and he never, never placed any blame whatsoever. He was always just, these are the cards we've been dealt in life and we're doing our best to manage them and play our hand. That was just always his mantra. And I was always in awe that he would never, you know, get upset with me or anything. It was just always very supportive. So I just think that made the world of a difference um, because things can definitely go the other way. And I know a lot of couples, not a lot, but I know couples who have either not being able to continue their journey and just said, we won't have children because it is very difficult as, as a family, as, as a couple to go through it. And, you know, those difficult conversations of adoption, you know, we talked about adopting and we've looked into surrogacy as well. Like it, it's, it, it's so hard. And so I'm just very grateful of the person he is because I think if he was different then our relationship maybe wouldn't have survived because I know I was a nightmare for a few years, like just so angry and bitter and mopey and, you know, just unhappy. So I'm very, very thankful that he stuck by me and, you know, was able to just support me as best he could. And I'm not sure if I supported him or not, because I, ju- I really don't know. I, I feel like I was the one who had to be supported. Such a wise man. <laughs> I know, <laughs> which is so funny that he came from the partier who is the bad boy on the lake, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny too. Sometimes when I look back, I don't know if you ever do Leah as well. I look back and I, I do feel so sad that maybe I never considered my partner more. And like, I, I was same, same as you mopey, miserable, like in the shitter most of the time, like just not a nice person to be around. And I withdrew from my friends and family and just everyone as well. And sometimes when I think about it now, I look back, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have turned to him and said, like, what can I do for you? Or do you need help or support or whatever? Cause he was always the one that was supporting me as well. Yeah. And I don't know. I, and he's very closed off, like doesn't, does not feel like he would ever journal or talk to somebody like that's not his jam. So, and you know, we would, we would talk about things and he was open to like going to a therapy session with me if that would help me, but he just never felt. And, but I do know it was hard for him. Like I would catch him crying every now and then. Like if I told him something, he would get teary eyed and that would be very upsetting to me. So he would try not to in a way because 
you know, it, it's, it's just so difficult. And actually, the other day, he read my chapter for the first time, because he hadn't read it. And he was so teary, and it was very emotional for him. And I just, I, it still surprises me. But I in like, in a way, I forget, like, how hard it was for him. But it's because he, I don't know if he was trying to hide it. But he would just be so strong for me that um, I would just forget, you know, or not realize maybe. But I also think he just coped in different ways. Yeah, different coping strategies. Yeah. Different perspective shifting. Um, like your turning point, I felt when I'm listening to your story, that year that you took to like really find yourself and like really enjoy life and even like work on yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, like maybe he's been doing it the whole time. Like he's been just like, you know, like it's just, but that's what you needed. And and I, I really do think that really, really had helped. Yeah. And I think like his life experiences have taught him to be patient and, and built him into the person he is. Yeah. I definitely like for me, I had to take that year and I like, I was, I'm a, I'm a funny person. I'm like happy go lucky. And I had just totally lost myself. Like I didn't, I don't even remember when I had laughed and I had cried more, way more than I had laughed, you know, like I had just totally lost and I was so angry and bitter. Like I had lost who I was, you know? So I'm just so glad that he stuck by me through that. It's, you know, it's difficult. So hopefully he saw little glimpses of me who I was before <laughs> somewhere in there right yeah. under the under the blubbering mess yes <laughs> what is there something that um you would like to say to someone or like feel that you know it's something that really needs to be known to someone who's going through you know a similar situation I guess just for me it was finding happiness like from within so it's there, there's a great um, Buddhist quote that says, happiness will never come to those who fail to appreciate what they already have. And I had lost what I already had, or I, I wasn't seeing what I already had. I Instead of being in the moment and seeing and enjoying my life, I was constantly looking at what I didn't have. And so that's where my unhappiness was coming from was this black hole of something that I wanted and didn't have rather than being aware of like, you know, I have a cottage who gets to go to the cottage every weekend and go boating and, you know, traveling when I want to and just enjoying the freedoms that we had, which you don't necessarily have when you have a children or a child, um, you know, the, a career that I love and a great friends and family. Like I had just lost sight of all those things. And it's so easy to, because you get wrapped up in this world of appointments and needles and, you know, timing of things. And it's hard to live in the moment because you're constantly looking forward. Um, but just trying to not lose sight of the things that you do have and all the blessings that are around you um, and finding happiness within those, because it's not a guarantee definitely that you'll get the result you want so you need to find happiness with what you do have love it that's such good advice <laughs> it, it's easier said than done though and I'm so aware of that like it's not 
and it's something I work on daily. And I guess also, you know, just because I have a child now, which is incredible, it doesn't mean that my problems have all gone away. Like there's just new sets of problems, you know? So you just, it's just a constant working on yourself and um, being appreciative of what you have. That's all I have. (laughs) Yeah. I'd say that's pretty darn good. (laughs) It's a, it's a day at a time thing, right? We work at it every day. It's so true. Like easier said than done. And, and I feel like I'm a bit preachy in my chapter of, you know, this is, and, but I'm definitely far from perfect. And, you know, I have meltdowns and I still look forward of when are we going to do our next embryo transfer? And cause we, you know, we have one embryo left and what is that going to look like and the planning for that? And then maybe we have to do egg retrieval again. And like, can we afford to, and am I right? You know what I mean? Like it's hard not to look forward. So it is definitely every day is a work in progress. So I, I say these things, but you know, it is a practice you have to have every day for sure. Yeah. You can so easily fall back down the rabbit hole of all of those things in an instant, right? In an instant. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you do it enough though, I feel like it can become a habit sometimes. Like your brain gets rewired just like how, how like your brain was rewired with all the downs and the negatives. I feel like it will take a lot longer, but you'll get back to maybe where you were with your brain being rewired to see the pauses and see the ups. Yes. And that's where like from the reading I was doing in the podcast and actually the month that we did the embryo transfer, I read this book called The Magic um, by by Rhonda Byron. Byron? I don't know how to say her last name. Um, And it's Brian's. Brian's. Yeah. The secret author. Yes. And it was like 28 days, pretty much of different gratitude um, practices. And so I was doing that and it really does change the way you look at things. Like, you know, it looks at like thanking, being thankful for the money you have and being thankful, even just like for the air that you're breathing and, and where the steps that you have and the shoes on your feet and like the small things in life. And so I kind of, you know, that's almost been a year since I've read that book, but there's still practices I have in like little sticky notes that I have, you know, in different places based on the, the activities you were to do while reading it. And I really think it makes a difference, like just the perspective and saying out loud, thank you for this. And, you know, every day I would say, and it was projecting into the future of, you know, thank you for a healthy pregnancy. Thank you for a healthy baby, you know, just things like that. Um, cause you're putting it out into the universe and hoping for the best sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say gratitude was something that I definitely found and practiced and it really shifts your perspective of things and puts you in a more positive mindset. Agree a hundred percent. I mean, when you look around the world, we all have a lot to be thankful for, even if it's thank, you know, anything, it could be thank you for having, being able to breathe in fresh air today. If you can't think of anything, you know, mm-hmm. clean drinking water, food on the table, yeah. it doesn't yes. need to be fertility and fertility related at all. No. And we, we have, but I'm thinking like, just for students I work with, like who are in terrible situations, like 
sometimes it's hard for them to find one thing they're grateful for. And it could be anything. Thank you for allowing me to come to school today and being in a safe school, you know, like anything you can find anything really, but finding one thing is important. That's awesome. It's a great take home message. Look into gratitude, everyone. It's hard. It's hard when you first start out. And I know myself personally, um, like I strongly said it before in other podcasts, right? The power of positive thinking, the law of attraction, um, practicing gratitude. I, I'm, that's my jam. I'm right in it. But when you're in a really low and dark place, it is super hard to believe sometimes the words that you're even saying. And it's really difficult to get into that practice. But, and it, it is, you got to show up hour by hour sometimes because, you know, it can change depending on what you're dealing with and you just got to keep doing it. And eventually it gets easier. Yes. And that's where like writing things down. So part of like one of the activities in this book was to write down 10 different things every day. And so that's a lot by the end of different things, but you start getting into the nitty gritty of little things that you're thankful for. Thank you, you know, for being able to have the ability to write down things I'm thankful for, to have that ability to write. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then creative. <laughs> yeah. In those moments that you're having a hard time, you can go back and read through those things that you've written down, you know? Well, thank you, Leah, so much for joining us today and for sharing your story and congratulations. I, I don't think you actually said it in this episode at all. We talked about, about the book. No, oh. about your baby. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah. So uh, Ace, we have a, a son, Ace. He was born on September 5th. Mm. So he's almost a month old. Oh. And yes, we feel so blessed. He is a little perfect boy oh. in our eyes. <laughs> He'll probably be a terror given <laughs> my husband and I were like, dear God, the teenage years are t- going to be <laughs> challenging, but that's okay. Oh, well, Not um, looking ahead. We're staying in the moment. Be in the present. <laughs> yeah. Staying in the present moment right now. He's an angel. Sleeps <laughs> most of the day. <laughs> Enjoy every moment and congratulations. Yes. On little boy. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. We love a good success story because it always gives us something to to look forward to an up as I call it it. it's an up yeah there are us (laughs) yes we are very blessed we are super grateful and thankful and definitely didn't know if it would ever happen and still in awe and amazed that it it has perfect ending thank you Thank you for listening to our podcast episode today. And thanks again to Leah for sharing your success story and your congratulations again on your little boy. You are indeed proof that dreams do come true, but sometimes you have to write your own fairy tale. Remember everyone in any project, including the baby project, you must take things one step at a time. Got a question for us? Or perhaps you would like to share your story and be a guest on our podcast. Feel free to connect with us by emailing us at thebabyproject underscore at outlook.com or DM us on Instagram at thebabyproject underscore. Thanks for listening.